the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The apocalypse that you so fear is the very unveiling of the person you so desperately need. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it begins with the gospel of peace in the apocalypse of peace. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today we conclude the Apocalypse and Peace. It's a part of the Revelation series. Again, it's the Apocalypse and Peace. You can find the entire message and the rest of the series available at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Previous messages are archived there along with the actual live broadcast at the time it happens. And we hope that you'll join us. Again, remember that phone number. It's 888-244-HOPE. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart. God would forgive me. How could God forgive me? I can think of sins I'm just utterly ashamed of. You've never had any of those, I'm sure. I've let the Lord down so badly in my life. I can't, I can't speak about it. You know, I'm grateful I don't have to. You don't have to either. Let it soak in deeply and do not deny it. Don't reason the good news away today. Bathe your faith in the truth of the cross. Isn't the book of Revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ? Am I right or wrong? Now, I'm not ashamed of that truth today. They can fire me. It doesn't matter. I'd rather proclaim the truth than have a job. It is the truth of an apostolic gospel that is good news, well done, not good news in the making, which isn't good news at all. It is the truth that makes grace and peace possible in lives that are fractured and broken, in people who have failed God, in people who cannot mend the fences of a broken life. It is the platform for victory in a life that has failure behind it, but has a future before it. And no theological gymnastics can do away with the truth that is the central truth of the everlasting gospel. If there is no forgiveness at the cross, then grace is an afterthought. Did you hear me? If there is no forgiveness at the cross, then grace is an afterthought. And God has no right to speak of grace so freely as an attribute of His character if He can't forgive people from His heart before they ask Him. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. And look at verse 32. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, if you're having trouble in your marriage and you don't know how to fix it, you come to the cross. 
I'm telling you right now, most trouble in marriage is selfishness, sin. I've seen people who are awful in terms of compatibility, just can't get along by temperament. But they've come to the cross and they love their mate. They love them because of Jesus and they come to love them in time. There was a scholar by the name of Samuel Becchio. Have you ever heard of him? He told me one day, he said, you know, me and my wife, we had a hard time. Got married, we just weren't compatible. But you got to hang in there and love the person. And over the years, I mean, years, it worked out. He told me, I thought, man, what a man of God to humble up and just tell us that, you know, the gospel works over time in difficult relationships. He loved his wife dearly and left a legacy in the church. He's dead now. But that was a window of transparency that meant a lot to me to hear from a theologian who was basically a Bible-believing preacher of the Word of God. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And God was in Christ when he said that at the cross for you. Revelation 1, 4-6 is full of meaning. Let's review it. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace are coming to us in the book of Revelation from the Trinity. Some people say, well, I don't believe in the Trinity. I mean, I've heard that stuff even in our church. People think they learn some new truth and that there is no Trinity. That is utter foolishness. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son of God are working together to bring God's grace and God's peace into your life. And the book of Revelation begins with Trinitarian theology that is personal and meaningful. The first mention is God the Father. He's called the one who is, who was, and who is to come. This is an echo of the divine name Yahweh. When, when God in Exodus 3.14 told Moses, I am who I am. In rabbinic Judaism, this phrase... The rabbis often referred to as God as the one who was, who is, and who is to come. They interpreted it that way. And so we know it means God the Father. But this statement was also used in the Greek world to describe Zeus, the ruler of the gods in the Greek mythology, the great god of that heathen pantheon. Zeus was the one who held the thunderbolt in his hand. He was the one who was, who is, and who is to come, the ruler of Mount Olympus. John is saying that God the Father is the real God of gods. And Zeus is an imposter of a phony mountain with false pantheon. He says, you know what? If you want the real great God, it's the God of Jesus, his Father. The book of Revelation is absolutely clear. God the Father loves you and grace and peace come from his throne of grace to you. And it's not something in the past only. He's the God of time and his attitude is timeless toward you. But God the Father is not the only one to speak here. The Spirit speaks too in perfect agreement. Look at the second half of Revelation 1.4. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And you say, Pastor Mike, what on earth are the seven spirits? Are you curious about that? Why would it say seven spirits? Now we've got to really interact with our Old Testament to understand this more clearly. The number seven in the Bible indicates completeness. So we should really think of it in these terms. You know, we have seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven plagues. The number seven dominates the book of Revelation. The Hebrew word seven, Shabbat, comes from a verb which means to swear an oath. It calls to mind God's complete covenant for his people. The number seven, if you want to boil it down to its basic meaning, it indicates completeness. The seven churches represents the church universal. 
from the beginning of time to the end of time and the church universal in the world. So the seven spirits of God is another way of describing the complete spirit of God that is the fullness of the divine attributes omnipresent in the universe. The seven spirits mean the complete spirit of God that can find you and see you and see through you. In the book of Revelation, the seven spirits of God are the seven eyes of God, and they are on the Lamb of God. So you can't even interact with the seven eyes or seven spirits of God without looking to Jesus. That means the Spirit of God comes from Jesus to you and for you. Now why are there seven eyes here? Let's turn to Revelation 5 verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, what does the Bible say? I saw a what? I saw a lamb. Now he's not failed here. He's not falling. He's standing as though it had been slain. That means a resurrected lamb with seven horns and with how many eyes? Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the seven spirits of God are connected to which person? It's connected to the Lamb of God. You can't speak of the seven spirits of God without talking about the very person of who Jesus is. In Zechariah 4, the seven eyes of God are really the one Holy Spirit of God. In Zechariah 4, 2, the prophet sees a lampstand of gold with seven lamps on it. And then the question is asked, what are these? Zechariah 4.10, the answer is given. Whoever is despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which reigns throughout the whole earth. Now let me ask you a question. If I were to talk to you and I were to say, I would ask you this question. Do your eyes belong to you? How would you answer that question? Would you say no? You'd have to say yes. Your eyes belong to you, right? Or did I say it wrong? Well, you got the idea. Your eyes do belong to you, don't they? God has eyes. Do they belong to him or not? Are they part of How many eyes does he have according to the Bible here? It says seven. No, this is symbolic. It means he has complete sight. Now, let's think in terms of directionality. North, south, east, west. You can see in all directions, right? How many directions? Four. Up, down. Five, six. Now there's one more direction. Inside. The seven eyes of God that see everything and see through you. In Zechariah 4.10, we learn that these seven lamps represent the seven eyes of God. Now on the candlestick of the lampstand, each one of those lights was patterned after an almond blossom. Now if you ever look at a Greek hieroglyph, you notice that an eye in a Greek hieroglyph looks like an almond. Because an almond looks like an eye. They are the seven eyes of God. You can't separate the eyes of God from the person of God. His eyes are part of himself. And that's why the seven spirits of God, which are in fact the seven eyes of God, are really the complete spirit of God. The candlestick with seven lamps, having seven eyes, joins in the middle and becomes one lampstand, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That's why the seven spirits of God represent the complete person of the Holy Spirit that flows from God and is everywhere in the universe and God sees all. Zechariah 4.6 proves this. Here the seven eyes are referred to as the person of the Holy Spirit. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit. Is it plural or singular? Singular, says the Lord of hosts. Grace and mercy come from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But that's not all there is in the book of Revelation. There's one more person left to consider. And the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness 
the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus holds three titles. Let's look at them briefly. First, Jesus is the true witness. The word witness means martyr in the Greek. Jesus is the only one who can bear witness to the truth about God because he is God. No one can plumb the depths of who God is but the one who is God. I mean, if Christ is a created being, then I'm sorry he doesn't know God well enough to reveal God to me. He was always in the mind of God, at the heart of all that God is. Jesus came from the bosom of the Father to declare him. Jesus is the only one who knows. And at the cross of Christ, he was a martyr for God. He bore witness to the truth. Number two, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In the Bible, the firstborn refers to the one who deserves the inheritance, the eldest son. Because of Jesus, others will follow him in resurrection. But God doesn't owe us anything. Only one son has been given the inheritance of the future. Only one person deserves the domain of eternity, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn from the dead. Christ is the one who has dealt with death universally. He is your right to righteousness so you can be resurrected in the future. And Jesus is alive forevermore to point the way into the future that he has secured. God has given him the inheritance. And Jesus' death will not win over you, no matter how strong, if you have Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. It may be hard to believe, but no one has authority over life but Jesus Christ. You ever struggle with sin you just can't get a grip on? Yeah. Comes back when you don't want it to come back. You like to look like you've overcome it, but you didn't. You see, what you need is authority in your life. You can't be the one that has authority over these kind of things. God has given all authority in heaven and earth to Jesus Christ. To have Christ means to have spiritual authority, to not just be free from the condemnation of sin, to be free from its power in your life. He can deal and grow you out of it. No one can condemn you as you are growing and overcoming. And overcoming sometimes, you see, it's not the occasional misdeed or error that determines character. It is the line of hanging in there with Jesus. It is the trend line of not letting go of Christ. And when you do, it's the trend line of coming to Christ, and it's the obedience of faith, which is repentance. No one can condemn you but Jesus in the judgment day. But if you have Jesus, there will be no condemnation. And no one can take God away from you in life if you rely on God's authority in Jesus to give you God and to forgive you and to give you life today. Christ has been given all authority to rule the world and to rule your life too. And it doesn't matter what they do to you at the end of time. They can't do anything to you unless God lets it happen for your future glory. And what does this mean in practical terms? When you boil these three points down, what do they mean for you and me today? Look at Revelation 1.5, the, the last part of the verse. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I mean, this is one of the great verses of the Bible. Two verbs are used to describe the attitude and victory of Jesus. One verb is present and the other verb is past. One verb is continual and ongoing and the other verb represents a point in time. Jesus loves us, the text says. In the Greek, it is a present, ongoing, active participle. Jesus keeps on loving us is what it literally means. Not just now, but forever. Every moment of your life, Jesus loves you, and he will not stop loving you into eternity. 
He lives to love you forever as your great high priest. Second verb is an aorist verbal participle that represents a point in time in the Greek. It's not linear, it's punctiliar. He has freed us from our sins. The Greek word is literally loosed. It means he has untied us from our sins, unshackled. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today. So please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you. And you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. You are no longer identified with the sins that rightfully bring you to condemnation at the end of the age. You were tied to your sins by a heavy chain that could not be broken by you or anyone else, superglued to destruction, chained to evil. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus broke the chain that tied you to your sin, and he separated your sins from you so you could go free and have a future without sin. The condemnation you rightly deserve is what Jesus bore in your place instead of you. He did not run from your perfect storm. He went into it and overcame it. And your psycho personality, that means who you are, your psycho personality was defined in him instead of in your old life. And in him, your sin is no longer you. In him, you belong to him. My favorite theologian describes this divine exchange that took place at the cross of Calvary in a beautiful way. I can't do better than this. I want to read it to you. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes we are healed. Before the book of Revelation talks about the second coming end time events, it firmly establishes the everlasting gospel for us all. Grace and peace are the twin gifts of the good news for you that will get you through the time of the end. Grace means God forgives you and God loves you. And peace means God is not at war with you and God accepts you in Jesus. He doesn't accept you in sin. He accepts you in Jesus. Do you hear me? I mean, Jesus is the good news. Your future is in Him. Your acceptance is in Him. You can go far with this truth, but you can't go one step into God's future without it. Verse 6 ends with the wonderful benefits the gospel has brought into our lives in Jesus. Revelation 1.6. And Jesus has made us a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, the church is more than just a place to go to church and worship in. In Jesus, the church is a kingdom. And the church is a country. If you're a Christian, you belong to God's country. Are you a patriotic Christian? I asked them, are you a patriotic Christian? You know, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. I'm neither. That's my political affiliation. Sometimes people think I'm a Republican. Sometimes they think I'm a Democrat. I don't like either party. I don't like the bickering, the fighting, the evil I see in either party. I belong to a different country. I belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. And I am grateful that I can in Christ, by coming in my sinfulness and my need of Him, and be a patriotic Christian, 
bear witness to the King of kings and Lord of lords. A word priest in the Old Testament, this word comes from a verb that means to draw near, kohen, kahan. In Jesus, you can draw near to God and not die in his presence. You can bear witness to God. You can belong to a homeland that you weren't born into. You were reborn into it. The text says that we are priests to his God and Father. In Jesus, his God has become your God. His country has become your country. His Father has become your Father. And finally, verse 6 ends with a doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, there's no place to brag about our church here. There's no place to brag about our ministries. There's no place to brag about our personal achievements. There are no superstar Christians. To him be glory and dominion. You end with a prayer when you hear this kind of thing. He says, Amen. This Amen in verse 6 is followed by another Amen in verse 7. What we have covered in verses 4 to 6 is really the preparation for end time events. Did you know that? Do you want to be ready for the time of the end? These verses are what you need. It's a preparation for end time events and it ends with an amen. Now unless you embrace this amen of Revelation 1-6, which is the affirmation of the apostolic gospel and the good news of God's love for you and Jesus, then you can't embrace the amen of Revelation 1-7 that follows it. Let's look at that verse. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, everyone who pierced him, and we all did, didn't we? And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Amen, Revelation 1-6, Jesus died for me. Amen, Revelation 1-7, Jesus is coming for me. Most people in the world will not accept the gospel and be saved at the time of the end. It's hard for religious people to do it too. Tragic fact of our times, let it not be the tragic fact of your life. The world has a pull to it. And there's no place for worldly Christianity in God's church. There just isn't any. It's easy to just not believe and not to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's easy to slip into the flesh stuff in the church and be critical of others and not allow the Lord to work on you. Without Jesus, the end is the end. Without Jesus, his coming is terrifying to behold. Jesus is coming, and the world should be glad because of it, because there's good news behind us in history. But the world that rejects the good news has no place for his future coming. Most people will well when they see Jesus coming in the clouds. That's what John is saying, because they don't want him in their lives today. And they don't want the gospel of peace. They don't want to accept it, because it's too hard to believe. Others are well because they're ashamed. They're ashamed that Jesus would actually die for them, and so they don't want it. The second coming of Jesus Christ, dear heart, is good news if you hold on to the good news of the cross. I said if you hold on to it. Otherwise, it's just the end of the world for you. My son called me this week. In fact, he called me yesterday. There was a storm on the road, Highway 75, and a tornado was tracking behind him and locking down the highway. A few minutes later, I get a call from my son. Dad, I'm scared. I've had to pull over. There's hail falling the size of, of, of softballs. And I know there's a tornado around here. And I can't see a thing. I said, son, get under an underpass. Now, his mother had told him, you don't travel tomorrow. She listened to the weather. You know, when you're a teenager, you sometimes feel you can do anything, right? Well, here he was caught in the storm of his own making. Unable to move into the future. He's not a disobedient boy. You know, he just wasn't thinking that day. And I said, son, you get under an underpass, but let's pray. And I said, Lord, keep my son safe. 
Please save my son from the storm. And let this be a day that's just one day in a chain of days. In Jesus' name, amen. Weather from hell with no way out was right there pouring its fury on my son in the middle of a place I couldn't find him. Dear heart, Jesus has authority in life. Christ has the ability to save us when we, even when we make improper decisions. I got a call a few minutes later. Dad, I've moved out of the storm. There are no clouds in the sky. It's just sunny. And I'm driving all the way up the mountain to get away from the storm. God has not called you to give up and lie down in life. God has called you all the way up the mountain with Jesus. In Revelation 14.1, it says, I looked on Mount Zion, and lo, a lamb was standing, and with him 104,000, symbolizing the people of the earth who love him. On their foreheads was written the name of the Father and the Lamb. It goes on to say, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Dear heart, God is taking you up in Jesus, not down. Jesus is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him. And the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who is God's offer and grace and mercy for you, he will see you too. He will be looking for you on that day. That's the good news. And may there be grace and peace from God and Jesus forever and ever and ever for you. That will conclude the Apocalypse and Peace. It is an installment in the Revelation series. All of these messages are available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. Again, a reminder, you can visit us at the church for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We'd love to have you there. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road. Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.